Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. So we're in the end of our series called Money Talks, and today is week three. And um, before I dive into this, I want to share with you guys a very interesting fact. One of those interesting things that you get to know. If you don't know this, it's really cool, so I hope you're ready to hear it. And if you didn't know this, you can go tell somebody else during the week about this very cool thing that I'm going to be sharing right now. So I hope you're ready. I can see everybody has anticipation in their eyes. They sort of like, yes, what is it? Okay, so here it is. Did you know that it's much harder to get warm than to stay warm. Did you know that it's much harder to get warm than to stay warm? I hope that if you stayed in Bloemfontein for quite some time, this would be a reality to you. But let me give you the science behind it. Here's the reason why. If you get cold, your body, who's a little bit smarter than your brain, goes into something of stress mode and realizes, listen, there's trouble here. We need to protect the vital organs and everything that's here. So then it closes down. Your nervous system literally closes down. It goes under stress. It puts your whole body into shock, which then takes a lot more energy to get it back into working and warming your body up. So just a cool tip for this, for this winter. Rather stay warm than trying to get warm. That's a good idea. Great. And the reason why I'm sharing it is because I think our money is saying something quite the same. But before I dive into week three, we've been talking about this for three weeks. And we've been looking at three things that our money would love to tell us if it could speak and tell us something. So three specific things. And what we've said to one another is you'd probably not be shocked by what your money wants to tell you. We won't be shocked by it because I think most of us know exactly what our money will say to us. However, what we would be shocked by is what <clears throat> Jesus did say about money and what our money would like to say for us or about itself is very similar. So what your money would say to you if it could talk is very similar to what Jesus did say when he did talk about money. And we've been exploring that in week one. We've said money say to you and me, I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. I'm only a tool. I'm a tool that you can use. If you're going to make money the end of your life, you might end up alone. That's basically the picture that money was speaking to us about, saying, I am not the end. I'm only a means to the end. And that's the reason why I have meaning to your life. It's when you're a means to another end, like a tool. Week two, we said money looking at us, and he said, if I'm for you, I would say this to you. I'm a better servant than I am a master. And he would say, your self-control determines who is in control or who gets control of your life. That's the second point money would mention. And then in week three, where we're going to be landing this week and spending some more time on, is money would say this. If your money is for you, and we'll discover that Jesus is saying quite the same thing, if it could speak to you, it would say the following. It'd say, I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm hard to catch up with. I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm hard to catch up with. So keep up, or you'll be playing some catch up. Great. So, <clears throat> and it's so true for all of us. I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm hard to catch up with. So what I want to do is I want to dive into this with two quick questions. The first one is I want you to think about something that you hate 
spending money on? Just quickly think about it. Something you never want to spend money on ever in your life, but you know you have to. Something you hate spending money on, and now I'm just seeing tax smiles all over the building. Everybody is thinking taxes. Can we bring those down, people? But you know you have to. Okay, now, now second one, but this one I want you to share with your neighbor, is what is the one thing you love spending money on? I mean, like, absolutely love spending, but you know you should not be spending money on it. So now, McDonald's Confessions is out in the room. You can go for it. Just say, honey, I'm sorry. I love doing this. Quickly, quickly, tell the person next to you, what do you love spending money on, but you know you shouldn't? Can I just quickly see any ladies with shoe, shoe loves? Oh, it's going up. Any fast food lovers around us? Anybody? Woohoo, it's there, it's there. Oh, people. May the Lord help us. Great, so let me tell you something. <clears throat> there are two things. The first one, the first one that I've mentioned, those that we hate spending on, we call those uphill spending habits. They are usually the ones that the people that we need to pay asks us to fill in a debit order form just to help us, you know? They want to help us <laughs> to make sure that we spend the money that we need to spend. We know we need to do it, but we don't want to. It's really difficult. It's uphill spending. Now, but, but there's another kind of spending that they call downhill spending. And that's the kind of spending that, that you love spending. You really don't need any motivation to send money that way. And um, the reality is, is this kind of spending can quickly run away with you. It can very quickly put you into big trouble. In fact, the psychologist calls this kind of spending, they call it an effect. The effect's name is what the hell. Yes, you just heard it from your pastor. He just said it, but that's really what they call it. It's kind of this, this thing of whatever, you know, I really want that shoes. I really need a McDonald's now, whatever it might be. And what's interesting about those kind of spending is kind of I need it. That's what we say. I need this now. And it's really not what you need. It starts off with what I want. So you'll drive past McDonald's and then you think, yes, I really would like to have a, I want a McDonald's burger now. But now then you look at time. It's, oh, it's so close to 11. Ooh, yes, I'm really hungry. I, it's, I need to eat lunch. I need to eat lunch. And then suddenly a want turns into a need. And before you know it, you're very hungry. And it's supersizing everything. And you've just had some downhill spending all the way. Am I correct when I'm saying that? I can see that you guys can identify with downhill spending. <laughs> and money says, listen, guys. I'm easy to keep up with, but I'm difficult to catch up with. So keep up or else you'll be playing catch up. And the space where we're struggling to keep up is mostly with our downhill spending. It just goes crazy there. And it makes sense. In fact, we have some statistics that points this. Why and what happens when we lose track? So firstly, what happens when you and I lose track of our money. We don't keep track of where it's going. A 2019 study says the majority of households, regardless of income, whether it's high or low income, live a paycheck to paycheck life. Literally. It just, from paycheck to paycheck, you can't wait for the 25th. Because then I'm going to be okay again. It tells us that the number of employers around the world 
stresses about their finances, and it increases across generations, particularly among millennials. So if you're a millennial, I'm thinking of you. I'm with you. Actually, 71% of millennials say that their stress levels related to finances has increased over the last 12 months. When asked what causes them to stress most, women replied, 65% of them replied, financial matters. 52% of men said, finances let me stress the most. That is more than half of anything else that lets you stress and deal with anxiety. It's money. 35% of employees reported issues of finance, personal finance, being a distraction at work. Of those 35, more than 50, or close to 50, sorry, nearly 50 of them, 49% of them said that they spend more than three hours per week thinking on or working on financial stresses that they're experiencing in their life. They've admitted that financial worries have impacted their health, their relationships, their productivity, and some time away, and a time away from work. So financial stress is real. It's impacting so many areas. And get this one, 70% of all married couples fight more about money than about anything else in their marriage. That's on top of household chores, spending time together, sex, snoring, what's for dinner, honey? They fight more about money than anything else. That is 70% of married couples. I think it's safe to say that money is a big source of anxiety and stress in our society and in many people's lives. The stats points to it. I think your life experience points to it. And I think primarily the main reason behind it is because we don't keep track, we don't keep up with what's happening in our finances. Jesus put it like this, and I think it's really interesting that he made this statement in Matthew chapter 6, where he kicks off like the introduction to his anxiety sermon. His sermon on anxiety, he starts off like this. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Go and read it. It's really interesting. What Jesus is busy saying, he's saying, if you're going to shake hands with money as your master, you're going to pay a price. Yes, you may get what you want, but the price that you're going to be paying is probably bucket loads filled of stress and anxiety that you're going to have to deal with. But should you shake hands with God as your master, you will have peace of mind because he is the prince of peace and he will give you peace. Jesus is putting it out there. It's like 2,000 years already he knew what the stats would show us today. And he's captivating us, keeping us on the edge of our seats. So, he puts it like this when he says we need to keep track. Luke chapter 14, verse 28 to 30, it says the following. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Do you see Jesus asking us? He's pointing it out. You need to count the cost. For if you lay the foundations and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. 
And what Jesus is talking about here is really interesting. It's not just a sound financial principle. He's actually putting it in the scope of eternity, saying, guys, the way you work with your money now can leave you in an embarrassing space when we enter into the next season of life. If you're looking at God's kingdom, the way you work with your finances might leave you in that space. So make sure that you count the cost. Make sure that you keep track of money, and as money would tell us. Now, I'll never forget the first time I had to keep track of something that was really important. It's usually time or money. And interestingly enough, when someone comes around, just a short little side note, the first service didn't get this because you're my favorite crowd. Okay, so just side note, <clears throat> if someone comes to you and they ask you for 200 Rand, you think twice about it, am I correct? Mm-hmm. But if they ask you for like 15 minutes of your time, like quickly, come help me quickly, quickly, quickly. We easily give away time, but you know that you don't have so much time. <laughs> money, they always make more money, but they don't make more time. So the first time I got challenged to take log of my time, to look after my time, was really an interesting experience. Donnie did it with the whole team, and he said, guys, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just like put down when you're going to have appointments. I want you to, in your diary, write down every single thing that you're busy doing. Literally, from waking up to eating, spending time with your wife, every single area, that we can look at where are you spending your time. And you know what happened as I started doing this? I realized there were moments that I really, really wanted to do nothing. That's what I want to do now. <laughs> but then I was sitting there and I realized I'll have to write down, I'm doing nothing <laughs> with my time. And I really don't actually want to do that with my time. I want to do significant things. I want to make an impact with it. And here's the truth. Andy Stanley puts it like this. He says, when you are going to log it, you're more inclined to hog it. <laughs> Meaning you're going to be thinking about it and keeping and really be stingy with how you're going to be spending your time. And that's the reality that I saw. And it gave me an opportunity to grow. See, where is my, st where is my time going? And sometimes it was going to places that I'm really embarrassed about that I don't even want to tell anybody about. But the reality is, is the same goes for our money. If you keep track, and I'm not talking about budgets because we all know budgets, it's only a future hope, but never reflects a current reality. And budgets only live in one place. We call it my desktop folder. Never opens up again. Beginning of the year, and there you go. It's not dynamic. It doesn't have an impact, and it doesn't really speak to your spending habits. And here's the thing. If you're going to start logging it, this is what will happen. In the years when you have little... And now I know I've heard this objection. The one side of it is when I have nothing, like Lorraine, really. I don't have lots. I mean, do you want me to keep track of my 100 Rand that I'm getting for pocket money? And my answer is yes. Why? Because in the years when you have to cut back on costs, you know exactly where everything goes. And then logging your money takes pressure off. It really does. It takes the pressure off that you know you're sending it to the right spaces. And there's really no excuse for anyone sitting in this room not to keep track of our finances. You know how much you're getting in, and you know where you're sending it. Just keep track of it and see where it's going. 
And then on the other side, the flip side of the coin, the one side says, I'm getting too little. I really don't need to log it. The other side says, well, I'm getting way too much. I have so much money. I don't really need to log it. I just always have lots. I have like an abundance of money. And then in the first service, I had a few people like, mm, I wish I were one of those guys. But you, I promise you, it happens. It happens to every one of us. As you start growing in your salary, for some other reason, one month later, you've seen you've grown into it. I don't know why. But before it, I had so much money, or I had so little money, and then I got a raise, and the next moment, I had nothing. Everything just, once again, I didn't have any money. So what happens when, in the year of plenty, when you do log your money, what it does, it puts on a healthy pressure. So in the years of little, it releases pressure, but in the years of plenty, it puts on pressure. And here's why. Because when we have a lot, we tend to waste a lot. Am I correct when I'm saying that? Just think about it. Let's go back five years. Two examples. First one. Before we had a drought in Bloemfontein, who of you guys would be so next level as to be busy working in the kitchen and the next moment, ah, oh, I forgot something in the fridge, leave the tap open, just quickly walk outside, get the things in the fridge and just come back again. But like, I'm really not worried about the water. I'm like, I have an ample supply of it, like abundance of it. I mean, we would even go to the point, and I'm talking about just think about this. Do you know how many people do not have clean drinking water in the world, never mind South Africa? If they would walk into your house and see how you are using your hose pipe to spray clean drinking water over grass, I think they would totally lose it. They would be like, it's like I'm going to buy bottles of water to throw it over my grass. That's the way we did it. That's literally how people handled water. However, after a drought and after some scarcity with water, suddenly you see Jojo tanks going up everywhere, people connecting their washing machines and making sure that we reuse water and everything like channels. Everybody put things in place there. Am I correct? If you think about the way some of us used water, you think, you are crazy. It's almost embarrassing. And then we have this wonderful thing in South Africa called electricity. You guys remember that here's where it was like an abundance. I mean, you would not even think about putting off lights. It would just be on. Even during the day when you forgot about them, it's fine. And your geezer would be on 24-7. I mean, really, who cares about it? I have bucket loads filled of electricity. And then suddenly, we don't have so much electricity. Nowadays, just the other day, actually, I had a, in this week, I had an electrician coming to my house because the timer on my geezer broke. And it's super important that they exchange it because otherwise I'll need to wake up very early in the morning to switch on and switch off or I'm going to pay lots of money. And we put in solar panels to just save energy. I mean, we even watch TV in the dark and it's not because it's romantic, it's because you're trying to save energy, people. Am I right when I'm saying that? So the reality is this, when we have lots, we waste a lot. And it's the same for our money. In our money and our finances, when you have a lot and you just log it for a moment, you'll discover that it might lead you into an embarrassing space. You might get confronted with how much you spend on you. You would be thinking, can one person eat so much? Unbelievable. <laughs> Can we really have so many shoes? It's crazy. It's crazy to see what we do when we have lots. So here's my challenge to you guys. For the next two months, this is my challenge. I want to challenge you. I don't know what happened there. It sounds like somebody said yes to the challenge. 
<clears throat> and which is a good thing. So I want to challenge you for the next two months to log your finances. I want you to spy on your finances. Make it like a 007 project. See where it's going. And don't tell me, Lorraine, but I'm using a credit card or a debit card or anything. Everything's anyways written. Well, if that's the case, you're very lucky because then you can just quickly check out where it's going afterwards. But what I want you to do is I want you to take that statement and I want you to go and write it into different categories. See how much you're spending on what. Where is what really going? Where is your money flowing? Because if you know one where your money is going, you will see there's a piece of freedom. So firstly, go and spy on your money for two months. Then after that, I want you to sit down and look at where it's going. That you can be confronted with your spending habits. Whether it's in times of plenty or in times of little. And then lastly, adjust where necessary. Because you need to count the cost before you're building. Then, this is brilliant financial advice, just by the way. I didn't think it up myself. People taught it to me. And just a small note, if you're a married couple here today, I know one of you will come up here now, or want to come up here now, and hug me. Because you're so excited about this. And one of you might probably <laughs> hate me <laughs> right now. So. Here's the thing, no matter which one of the two you are, whether you hug me or hate me, let's just make sure nobody has any marriage issues and we can sort out marriage counseling. Not for the next two months. So here is a little story that I want to tell you guys to make sure that you keep everything well in your house. It's inviting Mr. Budget to come and stay over. Okay, so Mr. Budget decided to come and stay over the Marais house this Sunday. He's moving in, and what would happen is if my wife would come to me and she'd say, honey, I really want to have those pair of shoes. They're so beautiful. They're really amazing. I really need them, like the need moment, the need voice comes up. Then I can say, oh, well, honey, you know what? I really want you to have those shoes. I think they're beautiful. I think you should have them. But Mr. Budget moved in, <laughs> and he says, no, we can't have those shoes now. Obviously, she's going to be a little bit sad, but then when I come to her, and I'm like, honey, you really, you know what? It's Friday. I had a long week. I deserve a McFeast Deluxe meal. <laughs> then she will be looking at me. And she's saying, honey, I would love you to have a McFeast. I would even like it. You can buy the whole house McFeast Deluxe. And Ilza will be saying, no, you're lying, Lorraine. Gerda will never do that. But in the olden days, I promise you she did. And then when she looks at me in that moment, she says, I'd love you to have this. But honey, Mr. Budget moved in. <laughs> and he says, no. And then when your little six-year-old boy, that some of the parents would know would happen, and in our house we call it a rasing, a sweetie or whatever, for rasing, rasing, looks at mommy and says, mommy, can I please have a rasing? It's one of those Kinder Joy eggs, just by the way. They love it. And then he will like, can I kiss believe, mommy, please, please, please. And then mommy can like, I know, I really want to give you, I think you should enjoy that rasing. I think you should have it. But, but John, Mr. Budget moved into our house. To which I think John will be thinking a little bit and he will look back at mommy and saying, mommy, I think we need to kill Mr. Budget. <laughs> so here's the point, guys. Do not think like a child when it comes to your money. 
keep Mr. Budget alive <laughs> in your space and keep track of where your money is going. Now, all of what I've said today, even though it's biblically founded and I think it's very good, good advice and solid and financial principles, when you're a follower of Jesus, it even goes beyond just financial principles that you need to apply. And Jesus takes it a step further. And I want to quickly read to you guys, or remind you of a parable in which Jesus does this. It's the parable of the faithful steward. And that's, as many of us would know it even as the parable of the talents, where a master goes and he asks his three servants and he gives each one a certain amount. The one he gives one bag, the other one he gives two bags, the other one he gives four bags of money. And he says, look after my money while I'm gone. When I'm coming back, I'm gonna, you need to give account of what you've done with it. Okay, so we all know that story, and I want you to quickly read. We're just going to read the start verse because it's so, so familiar. The starting verse, Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus says the following. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted. Everybody just say who? He, he, he's. Great, there we go. So they entrusted his wealth to them. Quick question. How much of the money that the stewards received from the master is the master's money? 100%. 100. Am I correct? Okay. Two things about this. Firstly, if you're a steward, it implies you're not the owner. Just want to say that. And in this story, Jesus brilliantly, in all of his parables, because he's explaining how his kingdom works, there's always a God figure. And there's always a human figure. And in this case, the master is the God figure, and we are the human figures. And what Jesus is saying here is super radical. He's saying whatever you have, 100% of it is mine. 100%. Now, I've found many times when people start speaking about tithing, they, they say the following. They say, I paid my 10% to God, so I paid God his money, and now the rest is my money, <laughs> okay? That is not Jesus' viewpoint. Jesus says, you're only a steward, and money told it to us in week one. How do you know you're only a steward? Well, very easy. When you die, do you take money with you? No. It's left behind for someone else to steward. It's not yours. You don't own it. It's only something that you get to steward. And when it comes to your finances, you should not be saying, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should not be saying even my money. The reality is, is one day, and just by the way, let's quickly do the tithe thing, finish that off, then I'm going to mention this. Sorry, I'm losing track here. But it's so important, this one. I've had so many conversations with so many people coming to me saying, well, Jesus never mentioned in the New Testament about tithing and what's, what's a story, and New Testament doesn't even ask us that. And I'm like, yes, you're right. Jesus doesn't go tithing. He goes way radical, like far more radical than just tithing. He puts it down like this. You need to follow him. And if we follow Jesus, we do whatever he did. We walk the road he walked. When he decided to give his life, percentage-wise, how much did he give? How much do you think he gave when he hung on the cross? Was it 10%? Was it 50? Was it full 100%? So how much do we give? 
100%. And then I say, the church banking details is, and you can ask your salary to be paid in. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> to which they laugh. But here's the truth. It's not about the church here, guys. It's about what God has entrusted you with. And one day, you need to hear this. God is not going to ask you what you did with your money. He's going to ask you what you did with his money. What did you spend it on? Noreen, what did you do with the money that I gave you? What did you do with my money? And in the parable, the faithful steward had nothing to do with the amount of money, but it had to do with whether he was growing his money and making it work for good, for the master's good, for his preferences, for his interests. So he's going to ask you, what did you do with the money? How did you spend it in my kingdom? advancing my kingdom that's going to be his question very very confronting question so we all know it's easy to face some of these truths but in reality what will empower us to really live this way to truly see our spending and our money as God's what will do that I believe there's only one thing, and Jesus gives us that key. It's in Matthew 6, chapter, uh, Matthew verse, chapter 6, verses 19 and 21. It says the following. It's like his intro on money. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think in that last part is the key. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. What is a treasure? What does it mean when you treasure something? Well, it means that you look at something and you fill whatever you're viewing. When you look at your treasure, you fill your heart with the beauty and with the value of that treasure. That's what you do. When you, when you look at your treasure, you'll say something like this. You'll say, if I can only have this, everything will be worth it. If I can only have this, I will be worth it. And here's the thing about our treasures. Everybody in this room, everyone sitting here today, you have a treasure. And you're looking at it. And you're filling its promises with your heart. It might not be money. It might be your career. It might be your status. It might be a romantic relationship that you're in. It might be even a family member that you've made the treasure. I, for, many, for a very long time, made Gera the treasure of my heart. If only I could have that goal. Luckily, God showed me that before I got married to that goal. And he became the treasure. There's this character in the Lord of the Rings. Who, who's watched the Lord of the Rings? Movie fans? Any movie fans? Great. Wonderful. I love you guys. You're amazing. The other guys, I also love you. But you're missing out. <laughs> no, but you're missing out. Here's the thing. In Lord of the Rings, there is this character called Schmeagol. Very interesting character. And he embodies in the movie something that happens to quite a few characters in the whole book story with regards to the ring. He gets hold of the ring of power. And whenever they got under the spell or under the influence or under the power of this ring, this treasure that they behold and they want to possess, it forced everyone to say, my precious. Does it sound familiar? And that's the thing with treasures. Treasures become something that captivates us. It's our precious. And with Schmeagel, whenever you would touch his precious, 
He would even go to the point where, and just spoiler alert for those who've never watched it, where he would give up his life, fall over a cliff into a lake of lava, just to have his little precious with him. And that's the thing about treasures. We will do anything to keep our treasures. We will do anything for it. So, how does Jesus break this power? Well, quite easy. Here it is. Jesus went to the cross by his own free will. And while everything was taken from him, I mean, he was stripped bare. He didn't even have clothes left on the back of his body. He had nothing. He was still willing to endure rejection from his father even. Have you ever wondered why? Why he would be willing to go so far? Let me tell you. Because he had a treasure that captivated his heart. And that he said, I'm willing to give my life for this treasure. And that treasure is you. You are the treasure of his heart. You're the person that he's looking at and he's filling his heart with the beauty and the value of you. And if you know this, if you really, really know this, if God has opened up your eyes to see that the creator of the universe calls you his most prized possession, his treasure, I don't know what happens to you, no matter what it is. The next moment, this is what happened to me, it's Jesus, well, you're the treasure of mine. Here is my whole life. You are the most beautiful, most wonderful thing that I've ever gazed upon. Everything belongs to you. I will give my all for your glory. Let's pray together. If you are here this morning and you need to give up a treasure because you've maybe heard for the first time that Jesus treasures you. I want to pray for you. So you can just quickly put up your hand. If there's anybody like that saying, I want to treasure Jesus. Amen. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. So cool. Father, for all the hands that went up, in Jesus' name I pray. And I ask that as your spirit has revealed into our hearts and opened up, that you treasure us so much so that you were willing to give your life for us. In Jesus' name I pray that as we walk out of here and people stand up and go on with their doing and they discover the greatest treasure on this planet, I pray that it will radiate from every decision that they make. I also come and pray for people that needs to keep track, keep track of the gifts that you've given them so that they can channel them towards a space where you as a master would be happy with us as stewards and how we spend and use and go around with your finances. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.